So how was the live show? It was great. It was amazing. Honestly, like all of our hard work, I think it paid off. It felt good. How did you feel? Well, I thought we were going to make out at the end of the night. You thought we were going to make it out of something? No, we were going to make out at the end of the night. You and me. Yeah, we've been through a lot. So in the, I don't know, 11 years that we've known each other, you thought last night was going to be the night? Yeah. Based on what? (laughs) (laughs) I can't carry this on any longer. Uh, You have too many jobs. We are not making out, but I sure do love you. Hi, Joey. Hello, Yellen Marsh. Do you really want to make out with me? No. No. When I had to watch a movie where sex stuff happened on a screen, I literally took my mask and put it over my eyes. Remember? <laughs> we are literally like brother and sister. I have no sexual feelings whenever you tell me stories. I say, ew, David. Yeah, same. I have no interest in watching you do the slapobotamus. Tango? Salsa? <laughs> Slop bottom is salsa? Welcome to I Think Not, the podcast where we really discover how much we love each other and how non-sexual it is. I am Ellen Marsh and across from me is Joey Taranto and we're here recapping your favorite true crime TV shows episode by episode. Every month we bring you a new true crime series based on your recommendations and based on your recommendations we get to really get a feel for the room. Let me tell you something. In the words of the God warrior from Wife Swap. They will be on my prayer list for the day I die. Yes. Yeah. You will. You will. People at our live show last night were like, what is happening with frogging? And we were like, we don't know. Best of luck to everyone. We do what we're told. We're really good at following directions. It's true. But let me tell you, if you thought last week's episode was wild, Buckle up. People are going to be like, there's four of these? (laughs) There sure are, but if you want more bonus content, it is over on our Patreon, www.ithinknot.com. We now have three tiers for you to have just a little more nonsense with us, and we sure are grateful for you because we have a lot of things we want to do for and with this community, and that all makes it happen. Anything else you want to tell the lovely people before we try and get through this episode? I mean, I don't know. Best of luck to all involved. Is all I can say. Season one, hopefully, there's only one season. Episode two Footsteps in the Attic. The cabinets are banging and the music's blaring. I want to believe that it's in my head. Dad, somebody's in the house. It wasn't a lie. This was my life. This is what happened to me. I'm naked and someone is in my house. We're in 1986. Number one song in 1986. Go. That's what friends are for. In good times. In In bad times. I'll be on your side forevermore. Was that right? My harmony might have been off. That's what friends are for. Truly. Yeah. Do you know what the number one grossing movie of 1986 was? Tell me. Rocky. Four. Never saw the first three. I've never seen any of them. No, I saw the musical. How was that? It was a musical. It happened. It happened. <laughs> well, we are in Pepperell, Massachusetts, and we meet Tina Bowen, who was a mere 14 years old at the time. And also Sister Karen Bowen is here, and she was only eight at the time. And they tell us that the town I lived in was small, quiet, peaceful. We rode our bikes. Up and down the street, there was no traffic. Gen Xers really were just a feral generation. You rode your bikes till the street lights came on and then you went home and yeah. you drank your water from the hose. Yeah. I live on a gravel road 
in a split-level ranch. You have the kitchen, the living room, three bedrooms, downstairs, the bedroom, a family room. We call it the red room and a laundry slash cellar area. So, you know, we're learning the layout of this show and they're always going to give you the layout because in your head, you're like, where's the Frogger hiding? Where and were they? they? They lay it out and they're like, and then there was this little village underneath our house. Yep. So you're like, okay, that's where the Frogger is. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> if you're Barbara Streisand and you have a mall in your basement, you know where the Frogger is. Yeah. Does she have a mall in her basement? You don't know that? No. Oh, she has a mall in her basement and she has a store where she displays her awards, her costumes from shows. And if she wants to go shopping, she just goes downstairs and buys stuff. Do you know I did? a Barbara Streisand impression of Beach Blanket Babylon in San Francisco. Do it for me now. <laughs> I really don't like <laughs> It's more of a visual. So here's all who was living in that house. I live with my dad, my little sister, Karen. She's eight. And my friend, Kathy, she's 15. My mother passed away a year earlier. I have so many follow-up questions yeah. about that. Like what? Like, well, Kathy's family moved away to Tennessee, and she was 15, and she was like, I'm going to stay here with my besties. Yeah, little Tina's dad decided to become her guardian, and I think part of the reason was the Bowen sisters had lost their mother a year before, and little Kathy wanted to stay with them, and he was like, you know what? It'll be more company for our, my daughters. The were wild because if I was Kathy's parents I'd be like I'm very very sorry for Karen and Tina's loss but we're moving to Tennessee and we're taking you with us (laughs) well they did not agree with that they were like you want to stay here in Massachusetts good luck my dad he tries hard he works far from the home as a hotel restaurant manager and he has trouble with three girls he doesn't know what to do but being home alone has its benefits I'm able to stay up late, talk on the phone all night, have ice cream for dinner, torment my little sister anytime. I always wanted to be a latchkey kid. Really? Yeah. There was always someone in my house. Uh, I was like, can I just have some peace of fucking quiet? Yeah, try growing up with three other siblings and two parents where nobody knows how to communicate properly. So were you ever a latchkey kid? Not really. I was never by myself, but it did sound a lot like this. And me being like, I'm trying to watch Designing Women. Right. Yeah. Poor young Joey. And so they had their fun. But, you know, there was also sibling rivalry. Listen to what little sister Karen says about Tina. My sister fed me. She watched me. She beat me up. She made fun of me. We were sisters. I mean, life with siblings in a nutshell. Did you ever do the spit thing? Like you just let the spit drool yep. all and like far. land on their nose, and then you suck it up. Like especially after you have some lemonade or something. Let me tell you, my brothers did not fuck with me because my mother would defend me no matter oh. what. And I also used to sneak into their room and find their love letters. I would rat them out all the time. So my mother was like, "You stay by me. Oh, I got you." Okay. Yeah. See, we used to play hide and go seek with Joe and never go seek him. <laughs> We fucked with him pretty bad. Our laundry broke and we had to go to the laundromat and dad drops us off. So we put in the clothes. So we got into the window and we performed dance. Lo and behold, some boys walk in and they want to exchange numbers. You know what they would say now, right? Can I get your Instagram? No, honey, don't be chuggy. What is it? What's your snap? Oh, right. Lola doesn't text. She doesn't talk on the phone. All this child does is snap. That's how they text each other. I've had snap. 
I, I'm sure for a different reason than Lola has now. <laughs> but anyway. As a boy-crazy 14-year-old, a little bit of an attention hound, I think, yay, this is great. But I miss mom. When mom died, a part of me died. I'm sad. I need answers. I do something incredibly stupid. Kathy and I decide we're going to hold a seance. I don't fuck with spirits. Mm -hmm. I don't want to talk to the spirits. I did have my psychic moment where my dad came through, but I don't personally want to pull out a Ouija board and be like, spirits, mm -hmm. spirits. No. I... You, did you never played light as a feather, stiff as a board when you were a kid? No. And you want to know why? Why? There was a girl in my youth group that played that game, and then she started hearing voices, and they had to go over there to exercise the demon out of her. <laughs> that is a true story. We're asking... Mom, are you there? The cover to the electrical panel flew off onto the ground and scared the crap out of us. Oh my The God. electric bill is too high. <laughs> Listen, do not play in the spirit world unless you're a professional or Miss Cleo. Don't go blindly through life. Let me use the power of the tarot to show you the way. Call me now for your free reading. Remember, Miss Cleo? Absolutely. R.I.P. So now that brings us to September of 1986. And y'all, things got fucking weird after that seance. One morning, I wake up and all the stuff from the shed in the backyard, the rakes, the shovels, the lawn chairs. Shovels, rakes, bikes. Your cousin Plukey. Your proper collection. <laughs> those are daddy's special toys. Don't touch those. So, of course, they tell Tina's dad and he's like, it's the stupid neighbor kids. Go clean it up. And they're like, well, fuck. Okay. They were like, well, also, we had a seance and we summoned mom. So maybe she's fucking with us. And they were like, Beetlejuice hasn't even come out at this time. No, it has not. So they were like, what are you talking about? There's no such thing as, as seances. He's just like, it's the neighbor. Yeah. So fast forward to another day when the doorbell rings. Broad daylight. Answer the door. Nobody. When I lived in Jersey City, I used to live by a fucking high school every day. The ding oh dong God. ditching. Every day they would just go. I'm just like, grow up. Okay. Either TP this shit or keep walking. You're going to ding dong day. ditch me. <laughs> grow up. Have I mentioned that kids are stupid? Yeah. Leave a flaming bag of poop on my doorstep. Go big or go home, kids. Okay. <laughs> I could do without the poop. So three <laughs> days later, there is a thunderstorm. And lightning lit up the front bay windows. And I hear Karen and Kathy screaming at the top of their lungs and telling me my mother is in the dining room because they saw a human shadow when the lightning struck. They thought that they had the spirit of their mother now in their house, which, God, that breaks my heart for them, but I, I can't even imagine. So another night, Tina, Kathy, and little sister Karen are all talking to some boys on the phone, having fun. Remember having your crush on the phone for hours, just being hours. like, fuck MCI, I'm getting love tonight. No, you hang up. No, you hang up. What no, were we talking about? Absolutely what nothing. What were we talking about? Nothing. I was trying to pretend that I wasn't gay, and they were probably trying to pretend the same thing. And... A huge knock comes at the window of our bedroom, as if a pretty decent-sized rock was thrown into it. My heart is in my throat. Because we're together, we know 
I didn't do it, she didn't do it, we're all together, Karen didn't do it, she's here. My dad's at work, he's not home. Tina is like, we have fucking ghosts in the house. And other people are like, I think little Tina is acting out because she's grieving and she might need grief counseling, which I'm all for, but ultimately the problem is, is like, no one believed them. No one believed them. So their their dad isn't home. They don't know what to do, so they call the police. The police came out to investigate. They didn't find anybody or anything. I thought, we have a ghost. This is the only logical explanation for the madness. Well, then fast forward three weeks later, the girls are now moving as a unit. They are a gang. They're like, oh, you want a fruit roll up? We're all going to the kitchen to get a fruit roll up. Oh, you've got a poop? This is a group poop now. Okay. They did not leave each other's side. And I don't fucking blame them. These poor kids, they would sleep with their doors barricaded and with knives under their pillow. But then Tina is like, fuck this. I'm not living this way. So the next night I'm on the phone in my bedroom. I hear banging on the wall and Kathy picks up a plastic bat and we kick the door in to the laundry room, which leads to the cellar. We yell, whoever or whatever you are, come out, show yourself, we're over this. Ollie, Ollie, oxen free! (laughs) And nothing, not a peep. Oh yeah, they were like, whoever you are and whatever you are, you better show yourselves because we're sick of your shit. Yeah, Yeah, nothing happened. My boyfriend's big and he plays football! And he'll kick your ass! His name wouldn't be Steve, would it? So this goes on for six months. There would be days of incidents, weeks, and then weeks of nothing at all. But it always came back. One night, Tina is in the bathroom doing her hair and makeup because she's going roller skating to meet the boys. I loved roller skating. I love roller skating. I would think that the hardest thing about you roller skating is telling your parents you're gay. <laughs> like roller skating with the girls. Let me tell you something, what? Alan. No, I'm fine. We went roller skating on Christian night mm-hmm. uh-huh, at, at, at Skate Country on the West Bank I'd- in New Orleans. We'd be bopping along to... What a weird fucking time. When I tell you that my childhood was so fucking weird and you could not hold hands. You were not allowed to hold hands. Oh, wow. No, I love it. They also really wanted to tell us it was the 80s because the reenactment actor is wearing cut out fluorescent gloves and those jelly bracelets. Oh, I remember that. As I'm getting ready, a rock comes at the bathroom window. The rock hit so hard, it cracked the pane in the window. And dad's home. He's in his room watching TV. I run to him. Dad, check it out. Dad got a little nervous. Dad says, I'm going to check out. In the meantime, I decide to call Kathy. My phone line is dead. I go upstairs to the kitchen, and that line is dead. What the fuck? He goes outside, comes back inside with, like, individually wrapped candy. Don't understand it. Don't understand it at all. Who could fucking live like this? So the family has- And a has... BB gun. Who? And a BB gun. And a BB gun. I thought you said, and Daisy Egan. He was <laughs> like, I found the culprit. It's Daisy Egan with bags of candy. He came with Daisy Egan. She's like, hey, strangers. <laughs> like, Daisy Egan, we don't have time for your strange and unexplained right now. <laughs> I told Daisy Egan that you and I were going to do a podcast called Weird and Preposterous. <laughs> 
So the dad is like, I have no idea what this is. I'm just going to get the phone lines repaired. And he does. All of a sudden, the incidents just stop. And that brings us to December of 1986. Karen is sick. Somebody has to stay home to take care of Karen. Tina was a lucky winner that day. Karen and I are laying on my dad's bed in his room watching television. And she's sleeping. It's about lunchtime, and I hear the radio go on in the kitchen. My heart is in my throat. The cabinets in the kitchen are banging. Something is opening and closing the cabinets at a really rapid pace, and the music's blaring. Why are you still in the house? Listen, I love Heaven is a Place on Earth by Belinda Carlisle just as much as the next homosexual. I want to elect to play it. What the fuck? So Tina immediately is like, I have to protect my little sister. And she calls her dad at work. Remember, he works in the restaurant business. It's lunchtime. Really bad. They're in the weeds. Yeah. Really bad time to call. <laughs> they're 86 ketchup yep. and they're 86 filet mignon. We got to really work some shit around in the kitchen. How can we be 86 ketchup? It's a really bad time to call your dad and tell you that the Hellraiser is in your kitchen. And so <laughs> Tina says, Dad, somebody's in the house. Tina, hush. Nobody is there. We're going to talk when I get home. Remember when your parents would say that? Yes. When we get home, we're going to have a serious chat. Do you know what the worst two minutes of my life were whenever my mom said, well, wait till your dad comes home? Hearing the garage go from my room, hearing the garage open and knowing he was like coming home and it was going to be like two or three minutes till he got to my room. Oh, my God. Just that. Oh, no. Oh, God. I was like, fuck. Yeah, I don't like it. Where is that guy? (laughs) He's on the file. While I'm on the phone, Karen wakes up. I was hungry. I went to the kitchen. I wanted a snack. And she hears little Karen say, Tina, bring me the axe. Just kidding. I'm sorry. I'm a homosexual. If I have an opportunity to quote Mommy Dearest, I'm going to do it. I have to. No, she's just like, where's the cupcakes and orange juice? (laughs) And then she goes, we had just went grocery shopping. They should have been there. With her mass exit, I was like, there it is. So then Tina's like running around. She's like, I don't have time for this kind of freak out. And she hears Karen being like, I found him. I found him. And I ran into the red room. And there was the box of cupcakes with a few empty wrappers hanging out. And Tina is like, we're getting out of this house. We're getting out of here. She grabs little Karen and they are out of that house. So later that night, dad, Tina, best friend Kathy, and little Karen pull into the driveway to find every single fucking light on in the house. I say, dad, when I left today, it was daylight. I didn't have the lights on. We walked through the front door. All the TVs are on. All the radios, they were all on the same stations and they were up as loud as they possibly could be. Every TV, every radio. Every Simon Says. Oh yeah, every speak and spell being like, A, A, (laughs) A, 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 A. A. I walk it out, you walk it out. (laughs) Everything was going off. It was like Pee Wee's fucking playhouse. It was chaos. That is a terrifying thing to walk into. So we search the downstairs. Everything seems fine. We go upstairs. We open up the bedroom closet door. He says, excuse me, I'll just let you be, and shuts the door. Dad, that's not funny. And now it's quiet. We hear, girls, 
get your asses over here now. And I look. I see my dad standing face to face with this thing. Hair spiked with hairspray, makeup on the face like war paint, a fur coat, and I see a hatchet to the side. I hear dad, it's okay. This is just a homeless person looking for food. It's okay. We're all going into the last room on the left. It's okay. And he has his hands up as he backs down the hall. They're backing up into a bedroom and he's, the dad's like, we will leave you be. You need some food. Bon appetit. Yeah. <laughs> and they go into the bedroom. They close the door and lock it. And the girls are fucking freaking out. I was fucking freaking out because the reenactment actor in that hair and makeup and the fur coat was terrifying. He looked like Rufio from Hook. Yeah, she went to call the cops and the phone was off the wall. Remember how they would like sit on the wall? Yeah. The lamp wasn't there and Tina panicked. The walls were coming in on me. I couldn't breathe. And just like the movies, I saw that window. Dad, I'm going for help. The next thing I know... She jumps out the window, and she's gone. Kathy sticks her head out the window and screams at the top of her lungs, Run, Tina, run! I ran up the neighbor's back door two and three steps at a time, and I'm banging, bang, bang, bang. Neighbor opens up the door, and I just ran her over. There's a guy in a house with an axe, and he's got the whole family. She says, what? I couldn't get it out fast enough. The neighbor called the police. A state trooper pulls up to the house, goes to the window where the bedroom is at. Little Karen is screaming because her dad picks her up and throws her out of the window into the arms of a cop. They're getting out of there. That's not what she said. She said, my father picked me up. (laughs) And my father picked me up and threw me out to him. Within 30 minutes, my sister, my friend, and my dad made it to the neighbors. And I was thankful. Dad got on his knees and gave me a huge apology. We searched the entire home. We searched the wooded area surrounding that home. And of course, we had cruisers searching the roads and nothing turned up. Didn't know what happened to the intruder. I found the hatchet just outside the rear door on the ground. He got away. And we were advised to not spend the night. No shit! I'm going to the fucking local inn. I'm sleeping on a fucking hammock. I'm sleeping at your house. Yeah, you don't have to tell me not to sleep in my house where fucking Rufio with the hatchet was in my linen closet. Yeah, I'm not trying to play games with Susie and the Banshees who showed up in our house trying to do some kind of midnight concert. No, thank you. It gets worse, y'all. I can't even fucking tell you. I will have nightmares over this story. The next night... Dad calls the local police. He says, meet me at the house. I don't want to enter the home alone. I was asked to come into the station by the chief, and he advised me that the Bowen family wanted to go home, retrieve some items, and they wanted a police escort. We arrive at the house, and someone is waving at us from the second floor bedroom window. Hell Fucking no. Burn it down. Uh, So the cops go in. There's no sign of forced entry. Nothing looks weird. Oh, except for this picture with a knife through it. The 
that looks like it's written in blood. It's written in ketchup. I found that in my research. And it says, I'm still here. Come find me. I went upstairs a little further and I saw another picture with a knife through it. And I said, I'm going to kill you all. I would literally be like, I'm leaving. You're all on your own. Yeah. Best of luck. I'm sorry that you left your Connect Four here, but we, I can't do this. Yeah. This house looks beautiful, but we're, we're going to condemn it. The it's Holy condemned. Ghost That's is fine. condemning it. So they agreed to search the house again. We looked in places that we didn't look before. And we wound up downstairs. We're in a small laundry room. And I'm looking across the room and I'm, I'm, my eyes are wandering. And all of a sudden, just like that, I see pile of this wall. It's not a wall separating rooms. I looked at it and said that wall was designed to hide pipes. There was a seven to eight, maybe nine inch space. And I looked at the base of it and I said, someone could fit in there. So I asked the sergeant for his flashlight. And I saw what appeared to be a three and a half to four foot high pile of dirty clothes. I said, I got the SOB right here. That's him. I drew my pistol, I put it right up by the side of his head. I said, I want to see your hands and I want to see him real slow. And they basically like walk this person upstairs and Tina sees him like through all the war paint and the crazy hair and outfit. And she was like, I know this guy. I know those eyes. I don't know why it's not coming to me right now. And then it dawns on her. That's Danny LaPlante. I spoke with him for months on the telephone. Danny got my number through the boys we met in Townsend dancing in the window at the laundromat. Danny introduced himself to me at an eighth grade school event. I'm 14, I'm shallow, and I'm not attracted to Danny in person like I was the Danny on the telephone. Because he was just flat out ugly, and I forgot all about him. But this thing at the front door, this is Danny LaPlante. And for six months, this kid, who was 16, was living in their house and tormenting them, just creeping them the fuck out. Every weird thing was because of the frogger, Danny Danny LaPlante. And poor Tina, you know, she's 14 years old. She's grappling with so much. The loss of her mother, being terrorized in this house, and she's thinking, this is all my fault. This Mm -hmm. poor baby. So they remove Danny from the Bowen home and charge him with breaking and entering, kidnapping, and threatening bodily harm. No, honey, it was um, threatening bodily harm. (laughs) We have really savvy listeners, and they're going to Google that shit. You know what I mean? Can you try it again? Yeah. Bodily harm. No. Bodily harm. Okay, that was better. Oh, y'all, we're trying to lighten this up because this is fucking crazy. This guy, Danny, stayed in jail for nine and a half months while his mother tried to scrape up $10,000 to get him out on bond, which she eventually did. But on December 1st, a family named the Gustafsons who lived in Townsend, I'm not going to go into the details because it is very dark and very heavy, but this family, the mother and their two children, were found murdered, all except the husband. And immediately... The police are thinking, Danny LaPlante is out. Where is Danny LaPlante? I did become involved in the manhunt. I told him that this young man can hide anywhere. Don't leave anything unturned. Eventually, I did find him. He was in a dumpster, and uh, they arrested him. In October of 1988, Daniel LaPlante was tried and convicted of three counts of murder and sentenced to three consecutive life terms with no chance of parole. Now, 
Now, when the Bowen family finds out about these murders, I mean, you can just imagine. Oh, it was re-traumatizing. They were like, this man was in our house. He could have done anything to us at any time. And those girls were home a lot by themselves. I can't even imagine. And you can tell, especially Karen, is still very much visibly and emotionally affected by this. She says, this man ruined my life, ruined my childhood, ruined everything. In some side research, in 2017, Danny asked the Massachusetts highest court to consider giving him a shot at parole as he was a juvenile at the time. And the judge denied his plea for parole and said that Danny had committed three distinct and brutal murders. He also petitioned again in 2019 as a result of sentencing changes for minors. And again, he was denied in June of 2019. I really hope that everyone involved finds peace because they deserve it. No one deserves to live like that. That is truly a horror movie. It is a horror movie. In fact, I had to pause this episode several times and walk away from my computer because I was terrified. Yeah, the only thing that I found online that was a little different was that the family found those messages written in blood on the wall, not the cops. And one of the messages also said, marry me in Tina's room. So I don't know if that was like a dramatization thing, but interesting, you know, you find all these like little tidbits online. But let's go to our second story because there's always two. Well, y'all, we are in Enumclaw, Washington. It is August of 1995. We already know that every year was amazing in the 90s for music, so I won't go into it. And we meet Amber Dawn, who had just moved to Enumclaw. I didn't know anyone in town. I had no friends and was single. The only people I knew in Enumclaw was my brother Eric and his family. And we meet Dawn's best friend, Dan, who tells us that Enumclaw is an idyllic little mountain town on the way out to the ski resorts and the mountain pass. Amber wants a little less hustle and bustle in her life. Go ahead. I know what you want to say. He's like, well, it's an idyllic little town. (laughs) It's gorgeous. You can find lots of little trinket shops. Tchotchkes. Tchotchkes all over. A lot of, you could get fabulous thrifting. This man knows his way around a penis. He is happy. Everyone deserves the best gay. Yeah. I mean, he's like, it's a super cute town. (laughs) I was like, yeah, it does. It sounds like a super cute town. I want to know about super cute town and I want to have pancakes for the table. (laughs) If I get pancakes, will you guys eat pancakes? Okay, let's be silly and get pancakes for the table. Do you know what else? Ellen and I do. We get get pancakes pancakes for the the table. table. (laughs) When I moved to Enumclaw, I was working and going to school at the time, so I was very focused on just getting through my education. I was working for an insurance salesman uh, doing just data processing for him. I was waiting tables. And I was also working for a drugstore just as a cashier. I was like, Beyonce only can work a certain amount of jobs. You can too. Listen, for all of you who are working to put yourself through school, I have this to say. Because that shit is hard. Mm-hmm. Ta- pat yourself on the back. You're doing it. Do you remember the stores I worked at? I've, to- I've told the pod before. The Gap. The Gap. Lord and Taylor. No, BB. You worked at BB. I worked at BB. But the funniest thing was that, like, I didn't know we worked on commission the first month. And this one woman, I'll never forget, Lisa, she was so competitive with me. And then finally, one girl who used to work at Bendel was like, You know, we work on commission here. And I was like, I didn't. <laughs> come from the gap I didn't know so I would just like go over and like help people and I was just like oh my god that v-neck looks super cute and they'd be like that 
wasn't mine. It was so competitive. And I was like, I just want to sell cute knee-length skirts and tube tops. Yeah, baby tees that say BB in diamonds. So now Amber gives us a layout of her really nice sunny apartment. When you entered the apartment, you entered it into a hallway. If you went to the left, came across the bathroom and the bedroom. To the right, the kitchen, the living room, and the dining room. It was a nice sunny apartment. I could see Mount Rainier from my bedroom window. It was majestic. It was calming. I loved it. Super cute vibes. The <laughs> vibes were vibing, honestly. Just like a nice beanbag chair. Super cute lava lamp. And just, you know, a nice coffee table to display your Delia magazine. Do you remember those Ansel Adams posters? No. Where, like, it would look like a city, but then it would look like a waterfall or yes. something. Remember those? Yes. Everyone had those. Also, <gasps> United Colors of Benetton ads. I had been unpacking all day, but wasn't finished. I had finished for the evening and turned off the music and was lying in bed listening to the sounds of that space. I hear footsteps above me walking across the ceiling. Did we mention that she lives on the top floor? Yeah. So she's like, hmm, this is peculiar. That's suspicious. Yep. That's weird. Then she looks over to the side and she sees a door to a crawl space. Could it have been an animal? Could it have been the wind? Could it have been something next door? Yeah, maybe maybe it's a an, an opossum. Maybe. Uh, you know? Maybe it's Coop Daniels. Yeah, you never know. He needed some place to hide. Whatever. Eventually, Amber goes to sleep, and she wakes up the next morning, and she's like, I remember footsteps. So I approached one of the employees of the apartment complex with my concern. They were very dismissive and told me that it was probably a squirrel or a raccoon, that no one could be up there. And I accepted that answer. Also, she doesn't have time to think about this. She's busier than a one-armed paper hanger. Thank you, Dolly Parton and Joe Magnolias. <laughs> Two weeks pass, and one day she's at the grocery store, and she sees this man sitting behind the garbage, and she was like, Now this is a quiet mountain town. I have never seen a homeless person in this town. Um, but this gentleman was just sitting there and he looks at me. He looks at me longer than is socially acceptable. And I just kept walking and moved on with my errand. And I came back and he was gone. And so three days later, Amber is at the pet store buying food for her two cats. While she's there, she sees this cute little puppy and she's like, we locked eyes, we bonded. I bought the dog. Amber, you don't have time for a dog. You do not. Dogs are so much attention. It's Puppies? not like having a cat. She doesn't have time to wipe her ass. Yeah. But she got it. And her name was Athena and called her Thea for short. And gay best friend was like. When she got Thea, she was just so happy. Um, she got to have her little two kitties and her dog. And she had her little family in her apartment. I mean, she loves animals. <laughs> uh, she slays for days for four-legged babies. Can we get a death drop for puppies? Uh, I mean, like, show of hands. Who fucking... Katrina, Katrina, Katrina. Who fucking loves the fucking pup? And so she's a fur mama. The baby, you know, this little puppy's eight weeks old. It's going to take a lot of potty training. And so she crates the dog in the bathroom for when she's going to work, right? Mm -hmm. She leaves it there with, you know, food and toys and Same thing water. you do with your kids. It's, yeah, same thing. <laughs> I'm at work one night and I get a call from someone at the apartment complex letting me know that water is raining down on my downstairs neighbor and that there is a leak coming from my bathroom. But they need me to come home because when they tried to go into the bathroom, there's a dog 
So I get home and find two employees of the apartment complex in the apartment, and they're waiting to get into the bathroom. I open the door, and Thea is in the bathroom sink. The puppy's fine. There's no water in the sink, but she's like, this dog is eight weeks old. How did that dog get in the sink? Because it would have had to have jumped on the toilet and from the toilet jump into the sink. What the fuck is happening? It freaked her out. Yeah. What in the Clifford and the big red dog is happening here? What in the Beethoven is this? Let's go, Scooby. Yeah. Fess up. Tell me what happened. Yeah, I've seen Homeward Bound. We're not doing this. (laughs) And so then we get to January of 1996. One day I come home. And I noticed that the window that I leave open so the cats can access their litter box is closed. And I know that I didn't close it because I specifically left it open so that they could get to their litter box. See, this is how I would never catch a frogger because I'd be like, I know I left that window open, but maybe I closed it. Truly. I know I left that door open. Maybe I closed it. Well, like, I do not trust myself. Of course. I mean, your, your your mind wants to rationalize it, right? Well, then she goes to her bedroom door that she distinctly remembered closing, and it is open. So I go to the kitchen. I open the refrigerator, and I see that there are four cans of soda when I had left five in the fridge. I go to make dinner, and I open up the cupboard, and the can of soup that I was planning on making for dinner is not in my cupboard. When the food starts missing, that's when I go to my brother Eric and am done. Stop coming into my apartment, stop eating my food, give me my key back. And Eric is like, what the fuck are you talking about? I'm not eating your cream of coochie soup, okay? (laughs) I don't even like Fanta. Have you lost your mind? And Amber is like, convinced that it's him because you're not gonna believe that there's someone living in your house possibly be of course it is if you live with roommates if it's your roommate if your brother has your key it's your brother that is the total logical explanation if you happen to give your code to your gay best friend and all of your condoms and sex toys are all over the floor when you get home chances are joey had a sex party in your house i don't like the general sweeping statements you're making about the gay community it's just you got it we hit two months later Food is still disappearing. Doors are mysteriously opening and closing when she leaves the apartment. And she starts laser focusing on these things. So she does something that we did backstage at Pretty Woman. On Broadway, we have these things called snobs Saturday night on Broadway. where like, you know, everyone just it's a long week and everyone chills and has a drink and other shows come over. And you always have booze backstage for those nights. And we noticed our booze was missing and we drew a Sharpie pen on it because we were like, no one in here is drinking this booze and the booze was going down and we figured out who it was. Amber did the same thing. She's like, I'm gonna find out who's stealing my fucking pineapple juice. (laughs) I'm keeping track how many cans of soup I have in the cupboard, how many cans of soda I have in the fridge. I'm really paying attention now. And these things are still happening. One day I call in sick for work and I spend the day on the couch. I'm quiet all day long, just watching shows. I hear a loud thump coming from the bedroom. But I have animals, and so I assume it's the two cats and the dog who are playing. So I go on with my evening. Then, around 11 o'clock at night, I turn off the lights, and I lit a candle. I drew a bath, and I got into the tub. It's dark. I look up, 
and the crawl space door is open. It is open. Nope. So she knows now there is no raccoon up there. The only person who could open up that crawl space door is a person. So now she knows she has a person who's living in her house. The missing food, the missing drinks, the missing all of it. It is a person. Take your animals and get out of that house. I don't care what you do. Just get out of that fucking house. And she says that time came to a standstill. If he wanted to hurt me, I would be hurt. That's not what he wants. But if I scare him, if I let him know that I know he's here, he might hurt me so that I don't call the cops. So I need to be very chill. And I have to go into my bedroom for the robe. And that is the most frightening part because there's only one place he could be hiding and that's in the closet. I put on my robe very calmly. I walk by the closet knowing that he's on the other side of that door. There's a junk drawer right below the phone. And in that junk drawer, there's a hammer. Bitch, grab the hammer! Honey, grab the hammer. So she calls her brother and her sister-in-law answers. And she's like, I can't talk right now. Please don't ask me any questions. There is someone in my house. And she's like, get out. I'm on my way. I pick up my puppy and I walk out the door in my bathrobe with a claw hammer in one hand and a puppy in the other. And I'm waiting at the bottom of the stairs for Teresa to come. But she gets there in minutes, and she's got both her German Shepherds in the backseat of that car. When in doubt, bring in German Shepherds. So from their house, they call the police, and she tells the whole story. And she's like, Yeah, frogging. No, no, frog. I think it's with a PH, but it's like the F sound. Frog in my house. Frog. Okay, you know, can you just can you just come here? Yeah, Fanta spelled with an F. I know, <laughs> frogging Fanta. I understand. It's confusing. And she's like, I am retelling this story to the cops, and I sound like a lunatic. It's like with the last time. It's like the bobby pins, and she's like, my Fanta was gone. My cream of some young guy was gone. <laughs> the dog was in the sink. When people lay out these stories, they sound crazy. It's just the sum of the parts put all together. But when you say it, it just sounds bonkers. It sounds bonkers. The police go and they check it out. And they find the crawl space door open. They go up there and there's nobody there, but they find some stuff up there. There's a sleeping bag. There's some food and a book. And y'all, they never find this person. They never find this person. And Amber is like, the next day I go back to the apartment and I pack up all my stuff. And the whole time I'm there packing, I'm wondering, is he up there? But I was moved out before the sunset that day. She thinks he was there for about six months. That's where she traces all the odd behavior. Then she says at the end of the episode, I would love to meet him. I would love to talk to him. I shared this experience with him without us ever meeting. And that would close the book on this encounter. So Amber's Frogger, if you're out there, please make yourself known. Are you there? I mean, I would want to do the same thing. Honestly, I am somebody, even if I know it's going to be hurtful, I I want all the details. I want to know. That was like Madison last week who talked to that guy for a little bit. And she was like, and then he was like, can I have a hug? She's like, no. Yeah. I mean, what could have been scarier for her to find in there? Ah, Um, 
I'll tell you what you can find. <laughs> no, no. Socks, brassieres, and my last strand of hair on my head. <laughs> oh, no. Are, is, this your, is this your show? I am Gilbert the Goblin. Okay. I can live anywhere. <laughs> How big are you, Gilbert? Are you like a foot, two feet? <laughs> Wouldn't you like to know? Okay. <laughs> This episode was crazy. This show is bananas. I want to hug Tina and little Karen. I know. I don't want this to encourage people to start frogging. That's my fear. Thank you, down bitches. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this wild, crazy new fear that we have unlocked in all of you. you. By the time you hear this episode, we will be in Dallas. We will. We We cannot wait to see you. Be sure you follow us on all socials. We will be posting stuff there all weekend long. You can find us at I Think Not Pod on all platforms. Where else can they find us, Joey? You can join our Facebook group. It is called the I Think Not Podcast Facebook Discussion Group. Good job. You can also find me on Instagram at It's Joey Taranto, and you can find Ellen at Ellen with a Y Marsh. And also, full disclaimer, things are crazy right now. Thank you to everyone who's joined for our Patreon. We are so grateful for you. We really are feeling the love. We are a little behind on DMs. Don't worry. We will get to you and add you to our crazy close friends. We have not forgotten about you. We cannot wait to see you and squeeze your faces. And we're going to be planning our winter tour. So tell us where you want us to come and we will come squeeze your face. Listen, we'll come to your church hall in Sheboygan. If (laughs) if there's, you know, three people there and a Fanta. We love you all. And you know what? I love you, Ellen Moore. I love you, Joey. Love you now, bitches. Love you. Bye. Bye. You are not going to cut me off. Also, y'all, I walked into this house to see a box of airheads on the right, and Ellen has just sucked on what I only can assume is a watermelon or a green apple, and her tongue is green. You like it? You look like you've been eating Kermit the Frog's ass. Okay. (laughs) Before caller ID, you had to answer the phone and then think of a lie. And then be like, oh, fuck, it's Aunt Debbie. Hi, Aunt Debbie. How are you? Badly how? Okay, okay, that's good. Okay, now it's just turning into one word. <laughs> <laughs>